Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is registered dietitian Christy Bauman, marathon nutritionist on Instagram. She is, as you would might expect, a marathoner. She is also a wife and a mother, and she went through her own journey of underfueling her training as a collegiate runner that resulted in recurring injuries and a poor relationship with food. So now, as a sports dietitian who works with runners, she's on a mission to help other runners avoid hitting the wall, avoid underfueling to have a healthy relationship with food, and to live their best life while hopefully setting some PRs along the way. Christy, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. I am so excited to be here with you. So before we dive into our topic of the wall, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you become a runner and how did you become a sports dietitian? Yeah, so I have been running basically since seventh grade, um, track, uh, track and field, seventh and eighth grade, and then joined cross country later on in high school. Um, what really got me started was actually my older sister. She's six years older and loved running. And so I would kind of do everything that she would do growing up. And so I was like, yep, I'm going to run as well. Um, and funny thing is I actually really didn't like it in high school. (laughs) It wasn't until running in college and actually just like running more consistently um, that I actually started getting hooked on it and then have been running ever since. I, um, in college, majored in nutrition, food and nutrition and exercise science. Loved it. Just learning about the human body and nutrition being a new science and it's we're always learning so much about it that it's ever changing. Um, and so just there's so many opportunities within nutrition and there's so many different areas that you can get into. That, that's what sparked my interest originally. I also grew up on a, uh, on a farm. And so that um, learning about food and where your food comes from uh, sparked my interest as well. And um, so since then, you know, learning nutrition as a runner and how much nutrition impacts your performance. I, as a college athlete, I realized I was under fueling and didn't even realize it, um, which led to a lot of reoccurring injuries. And then, you know, over the years realized how much nutrition impacts your performance and helping you feel good. That's what kind of got me hooked. And um, I've been a dietitian now for 10 years. I was going to ask you, like, what was the point in your life when you realized the connection between, you know, nutrition, fueling and performance? Because a lot of runners don't make that connection until much later on than they should in their lives. And But it was usually when something happens, the adverse effect happens, like it sounds like you made that connection that way, unfortunately. Right. So in college, I was it's funny because I knew, you know, nutrition is important as a runner. But I had this mindset of eating super clean, really healthy, like, um, you know, eating lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, But I would have these like reoccurring injuries of like my, I'd get shin splints and then my hip would hurt and then I'd have plantar fasciitis. And it honestly wasn't until years later, because I thought I was eating healthy. Um, But at the same time, I was constantly thinking about food, had sugar cravings. 
And it wasn't actually until years later and letting go of that super healthy eating mindset that I realized like, wow, I'm not getting injured anymore. I'm actually like getting, my body's getting enough nutrition to prevent those injuries from happening. Um, So it actually wasn't until like, when I really started marathon training that I realized like, okay, this is what it's, I'm supposed to be able to get through a training cycle without getting injured. And I was able to do that when I, once I started marathon training, cause I knew I had to let go of that restrictive mindset around food too. And we'll talk a bit more about that whole, uh, clean eating angle later on in our conversation, but today we're talking about the wall. When we talk about hitting the wall, we most often talk about in the context of hitting the wall during a marathon, but you can hit the wall during a variety of situations. Colloquially, we also can call it bonking. I know in the UK, that is a very naughty term. So, <laughs> um, but hitting the wall, you know, if you've done it, you realize you never, ever, ever want to have that happen to you again, right? It is one of the most miserable experiences. But from a scientific standpoint, what happens when we hit the wall? Yeah, so... Basically, this is when you've depleted all your glycogen stores and all the glucose that's available in your body, and your body now has to revert to using fat as a source of energy, as a primary source of energy. And that process of actually using fat as energy is a lot more complex, and it, it just takes a lot, it's a lot longer process. And so that's when you're actually like, you know, you're running strong, feeling good, um, you have that energy, and then your glycogen stores get depleted, and basically your body kind of shuts down because it has to find other sources of energy that are a lot harder to get to. If somebody's asking, have I hit the wall in my training? Usually it happens after you've been running for a certain amount of time, right? You don't necessarily hit the wall after like 20 minutes of running. This is something that happens after all of that glycogen has been depleted. So we're talking about on longer runs or during longer races, right? Right. Yep. So our bodies store 1,800 to 2,000 calories worth of glycogen in our muscles and liver. And on average, we're using, you know, about 100 calories per mile. So then if you calculate it out, that's when runners usually hit that wall about mile 18 to mile 20 um, during a marathon. The question I get asked most often about the wall is, aside from preventing hitting the wall, which we'll talk about in a minute, is once I hit the wall, what can I do to recover from that? Once you hit the wall in a marathon, can you recover from that? Of course, preventing it is going to be your best bet, is going to be, um, you know, the most important thing because I don't think we can ever get back to having that full potential after hitting the wall. But yes, naturally your body is going to slow down its pace because we know that in order to, um, that, that carbohydrates are our body's primary source of energy and easily digested. And so once that happens, our body is going to have to slow down. And then what, you know, what you can do is um, find those gels, um, electrolyte beverages, and start taking them in um, and slowly. But we know that takes time for our body to start digesting and start using, utilizing. Um, Again, we, you know, have we trained our stomach to accept those carbohydrates? 
we need to take them with water because you know a gel sitting in your stomach is not is not easily digested either it's important to take them with water but really you know it's the prevention that is the key to prevent from hitting the wall so i think there's a lot of not necessarily misinformation but let's say information confusion out there right now about you know, talking about being fat adapted or learning how to burn fat for fuel or, oh, you know, um, a gram of fat has nine calories and a gram of carbs, four calories. You want to, you know, the fat is a lot more dense when it comes to being the energy that it has available to it. But as you just alluded to, it, ha- it, it has a lot of energy in it, but getting to that energy, one, takes energy, like you have to burn energy to get the energy. And it's a really, it's a lot messier and a slower process than burning carbohydrates. Explain to us kind of the difference, but like there, there, it might be more dense from a caloric perspective, but it's not more efficient when we are trying to run for performance. Right. So it always sounds like it's a good idea to, you know, be run, be fat adapted or run running using more fat. But this puts a lot more stress on our body. It increases cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone. It, it impacts our hormones, especially in females. It increases the risk of injury. And the research says that fat adopted athletes don't outperform um, athletes who are using carbohydrates and taking in carbohydrates. And fat adopted athletes have to take in carbohydrates anyway, because you actually need carbohydrates in the process of using fat as a form of fuel too. (laughs) And so we know that fat adopted, again, it might sound like a good idea, but it's, it's not physiologically, it's hard on our body. And it's just more, much more efficient if we take in carbohydrates and use that. And what about for people who say, but what about gluconeogenesis? My body can create glucose out of materials that I happen to have lying around. Why can't I just make more glucose when I need it when I'm at mile 21? Right, right. Yeah. And it goes back to like that process of gluconeogenesis is just so much more complex. It just takes so much more time and um, more energy for your body to do that versus if glycogen stores or if you're taking in glucose your body can you take and use that right away and send it right to your muscles to be used as energy right away so let's go back to you know obviously the number one way to prevent hitting the wall is to fuel your body properly and i've definitely had you know full episodes talking about the glory of carbohydrates and why it's so important as a performance athlete but from another angle um a lot of runners in um don't intentionally underfuel. They just might not understand how much carbohydrate they need while training, or if they think, oh my God, like I've been told I need X number of carbs per hour. They're kind of blown away by how much food it seems like that is. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I think back to my newer running days, I'm like, wow, like that is a lot of carbs I'm supposed to be taking in for a marathon, 60 to 90 grams of carbs per hour. Um, if you think about a, a gel that has maybe about 25, um, usually a little bit less than 25 grams of carbs, you know, that's two gels per hour. Um, and so, yeah, it does it does seem like a lot, but that's where, that's how we can maximize performance because we know our body, if we train our stomach and if we train our, our body and the process of training actually allows our body 
to store more glycogen within the muscles as well. And so this makes more glycogen, more carbohydrates available while you're actually running a marathon as well too. Generally speaking, it's mostly about the fueling thing, but what about when somebody goes out too hot? But that comes down to a fueling thing too, right? You basically burn through too much glycogen at too hot of a pace, and then you still end up running out of energy. That's another way people can hit the wall is they just kind of flame out. Right. Yep. Yep. Because the faster, the higher intensity that you're running, the more carbohydrates and less fat that your body utilizes the faster that you run. And so again, when you hit the wall, you have to slow down your pace. So then your body can use more fat and less carbohydrates as a primary source of fuel. So you, yeah, when you're starting out too fast, um, you're going to burn right through that glycogen um, and, and hit the wall early, um, basically. And this is exactly why we say like, you can't, don't bank time. Like banking time is not a legitimate strategy for pacing her marathon. I say to my athletes, when you run a marathon, pretend you have just a box of matches. And when you go out too fast, you're burning matches really, really quickly. You need enough matches to light your way all to the way to the end of the race. And when you go out too fast, you are burning more energy than you need to. You are burning energy that you need to save for the end of the race, along with fueling properly along the way. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Um, have you ever hit the wall in any of your marathons or other races of any distance? Yeah. So I, um, I was thinking about this and I'm like, no, I haven't really, but at the same time, I, I think about it and it's like, there's definitely been points in my marathons that I one know that I haven't fueled as well as I should be, um, as well as taking in fluids and electrolytes and uh, my pace had to slow down. Like I felt physically like endurance wise, my breathing was fine, but I had to physically slow down because my, it, it kind of goes back to the, the impact that oxygen has in metabolism of carbohydrates and fat too. Um, I had to physically slow down. And so, you know, that was, I think a form of hitting the wall of like, I want it to keep going. My endurance was there but physically I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the glycogen. I didn't have the glucose to keep going at the pace I wanted to. How about for, how about for you? Oh yeah. When I first started running, I was, I was firmly in the, I was coming from a, a diet mindset. Like I started running to lose weight and I started running when I was following a low carb keto diet. And so the first like two years that I ran, I ran everything low carb, keto. I ran two marathons um, badly. <laughs> it is real. When I, people say like, can I just train to run a marathon on my fat? I'm like, no, you can't trust me. I've tried and you cannot do that. And it, it's, you know, one, I mean, I ended up with some weird hormonal things. I thought necessarily that I was under fueling. I was eating plenty of calories, but if you're running 50, 60, 70 miles per week, like I, you can't do that, especially as a female athlete you have to have carbohydrates. Like I ran into some really nasty health issues because of that. And since I've started eating carbohydrates and fueling correctly, oh my God, I've gotten so much faster. Amazing how that happens. But yeah, yeah I've definitely hit the wall hard um, in two marathons and there's nothing quite like realizing that you have to keep going when every single step feels like you're like wading through cement and all you want to do is be done. It's not to say that, like, had I known 
actually physiologically what was happening in my body. Like I thought I knew, but I didn't. Um, but you know, diet culture has really strong hooks in the running space. And, you know, I was coming from a place where I had been told that sugar was the root of all evil and it caused inflammation and that no matter, I should turn into this lean, clean fat burning machine. And that was going to unlock blah, 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 blah. And so I ended up in this place where from a health and performance perspective, like I was really doing all the wrong things. And I, a lot of runners are in that same space right now. They, it's not that they're necessarily like, they don't know about carbohydrates. They just are so afraid of them or have feelings about them that they're afraid to actually use right. them. Right. Yeah. And, and you, like you said it right, right on with diet culture being the culprit of, you know, of all these things that we hear about how bad carbohydrates are. And I, one of my big things is we know as runners, we have to fuel differently. Um, like, yes, keto might work for some people if they're not running. Um, I mean, I saw my other opinions about that as, as females and hormone and hormone health and everything, but as runners, like it's, it's not going to work, especially as female runners. Um, and we hear so many negative messages from diet culture. And like you said, lots of people get into running for weight loss. Um, and that really increases your risk of one, not feeling good, feeling sluggish on your run, feeling exhausted, having those sugar cravings, um, binging later on in the day. And it just puts, you know, a lot of it's physical, physiologically hard on your body. Um, it increases your stress hormone when you're not eating enough too. Um, and so, yeah, all that has, has so much impact on our bodies. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So we talk about the recommended fueling. You know, I say 30 to 60. I think the whole, the broad recommended rate is 30 to 90 grams of carbs per hour. 90 grams of carbs is like, hey, if you can get there, good on you. That is a whole bunch to take in while you are running at a relatively hard effort. Um I mean, what do you, how do you counsel the runners that you work with in finding the carb re, carbs per hour that works for them? Yeah. So I think with the 90 grams per hour, that's definitely like, I think the elites are leading us in that because they're taking every 5k, you know, and you know how fast they're running, they're taking in fuel. Um, but to get to that point, we have to train our stomach and our stomach is a muscle. And so just like we're training our our legs to take us, carry us through a marathon. We can train our stomach to accept and digest food because, you know, when you're running, blood is moving away from your stomach and your digestive tract to, towards your legs and arms. And um, we need to, you know, train our stomach to digest food while we're running as well. So how do we do that? Um, if somebody's never had anything to eat during a run, starting out small. Um, starting with 
so gels um, are designed and formulated for runners. There have been so much science and research that have gone into them that we know um, they have different types of sugars in that help us digest, um, e make it easier on the stomach and easier to digest. Yes, there's definitely some gels that work for some people and not for other people. And so trying different ones out um, is important. Um, but starting with a half a gel, um, even on a 60 minute run on an easier pace where you can just try it out, test it out, see how your stomach does with it, and then um, gradually increase from there. I think part of it is, you know, on race day, we often run faster um, or try and run faster. And so we have to train with energy gels and um, electrolytes, uh, our hydration during our faster runs, during our interval workouts, speed workouts, um, as well, in order to get our body used to digesting it at a faster pace. Do you change the recommended frequency of fueling on, let's say, my easy 20 miler versus my race pace marathon? Because there's, again, we say per hour, that can be, you know, anywhere do you fuel every 15 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, or does it depend on the runner? So um, first thing I think you pointed out, it's the key is on time, oftentimes more so than mileage, number of miles ran. Because in a marathon, we could slow down and our pace slows down. We still need to start fueling early. So typically I have my athletes start around that 30 minute mark starting early on um, and taking a gel and taking um, electrolytes uh, with carbohydrates in and then every half hour. Um, so we make sure that, okay, let's start early in the race. Maybe later on in the race, you like have flavor fatigued. You're like, I cannot stomach one more gel. And so let's try and start early so we prepare ourselves for the unknown of what what can come later on and I'll, I'll also say it's good to start early and fuel often because later in the race your mind might be going um a little screwy <laughs> um in this last marathon i ran i finished and it was like I, I i didn't hit the wall but i'm thinking back i'm like I really wish I'd had at least an additional gel during my during my race, um, but I lost track of time. Like it's hard when you're running for three plus hours at like a considerable effort to be like, oh, 30 minutes have passed, better take my gel. That's why it's so important to fuel early and often in case that happens later on. Yep, and I think you said a good point of how hitting the wall oftentimes affects, it does affect our mind <laughs> because our, our brain, um, runs off of glucose, of carbohydrates as well. And so that's when those negative thoughts can come in or like that cognition, we can't think as clearly or we're forgetting how much time has passed. Um, you know, it not only affects hitting the wall, not only affects our body physically, um, but also our, our brain and, and mentally too. What about for runners who say, I just don't feel comfortable taking in that much sugar? 
Yeah. Because that's a big, I hear that a lot. I hear, do you have any recommendations for like whole food options? I, I really don't want to eat that much sugar when I'm running. Like a gel is just basically sugar. It is, but that's kind of the point. Right, right. Yeah. So I would, you know, then we dive into challenging those thoughts of why. What, what is it? What's holding you back from eating sugar, from being afraid of it? Because like you said, like physiologically, maybe you're afraid that it's contributing to extra calories. Like why would I run and burn off all these calories if you, if you have this diet mindset just to put them back in right away? But we know that when you take in those gels, your body is physically using them right away. It's not like it gets stored as, as, as fat. Um, and our body is physically using it right away for energy for our muscles. And so really digging in more of, of, of that mindset around, uh, around carbohydrates and around sugars. Is that something that you hear a lot in the runners that you work with? Yeah, so I, I work with a lot of runners who are afraid of carbs or just, again, have this mentality of, you know, of, you know, car- carbs are bad, carbs are fattening. Um, when, we, when we know, like, carbs are our primary source of energy, our primary source of fuel that our body thrives off of. And once, once I start to explain the science behind it and how our body works, I think that often helps a lot and hopefully overcoming that fear and then experiencing it as well of when you actually take in fuel carbs during your run you just feel so much better running is not is is more fun you're not exhausted all the time (laughs) i've definitely seen that especially this past marathon training cycle in heading into fall races when i finally get my runners up to be like yeah i do want you to eat this much during your run and report back and it's always oh my god i felt really good towards the end i felt really strong i felt better the next day i wasn't destroyed you know i could hang out with my kids or run errands you are not supposed to feel like a corpse after a long run or even a race like a marathon of course is very challenging but you shouldn't feel like you need to go crawl into a hole and die afterwards right yep yep it helps in so many aspects like you said of with recovery as well and um you know being able to prepare your body for the next run that you're going to do so often we say the wall occurs roughly around mile 20 And that is kind of a, for many people, if they're going to experience the wall, it tends to occur at mile 20 because that's basically how many calories of stored glycogen we have to get us that far. But you can hit the wall like before then or after then, or in shorter races, you can hit the wall in workouts. Like the wall is not just a marathon specific phenomenon. Right. Yep. Yep. So we, you know, there's so many different factors that impact when we hit the wall, um, depending on how well you've stocked your glycogen stores beforehand. Have you carb loaded two to three days before your big race? Um, your training, how well, you know, how consistent was your training? How much did you incorporate your speed and interval training or your race pace? Um, and as well as your nutrition intake during training, um, and even, you know, the size of your body, um, different athletes have a different point in which they can hit the wall too, based on body weight and size too. Not even just carb loading, like whenever you ate your last meal, if you, you know, ate dinner at six o'clock the night before and you get up the next day and don't eat before you go for your long run, like 
you might not even make it past the hour mark before you're out of glycogen. <laughs> right, right. Because during the night, your body is using glycogen for your heart to beat, for your lungs to work, for your um, brain to work throughout the night. And so that those glycogen stores are slowly de depleting throughout the night. And then, um, you know, come morning time, if, if you're not taking any carbohydrates in before you go out for a run, um, you're going to, you're going to feel hitting that wall or feel that those de depleted gly glycogen stores even earlier. Um, how much does hydration and electrolyte balance play into how we feel? Like, does that come into the wall or whether or not we feel good or bad? So it's def definitely important. The and we t when we talk about hydration, it's not only the fluids but the electrolytes, like the sodium as well, because we know that um, staying hydrated and is is a crucial part in one preventing um, from having stomach problems. Um, dehydration is probably the number one reason for people having runner's gut or, or runner's stomach during a run. And also, um, they, you know, it, our body is so intertwined and working together that we can't just focus on one thing. It needs to be a whole encompass overview of hydra being hydrated, having electrolytes, having those carbohydrates in as well. I hear sometimes from runners who say, well, you know, I can run 10 or 15 miles without any fuel and I feel totally fine. And... I mean, that's great for you. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that you understand what fine feels like, but just because you can do something does not mean that you should do something like that, right? Right, yeah. And I, I was one of those runners. <laughs> I think back to like my college days, our longest was a 15 mile run and I didn't take anything in. I, I don't know why, I guess it wasn't even like really talked about. Um, but you think about it, uh, poor recovery, I was sore for the next few days. Um, I didn't feel very good, feel very strong by the end of that run. And um, like, yes, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. And it probably contributed to my injuries where my body had to start breaking down muscle as well for a source of energy in order to get through that run. Um, which breaking down muscle, of course, you don't want to decrease your strength, which increases your risk of injuries as well. For runners who are trying to figure out the best nutrition for them on for the race or just for running in general, it is a trial and error process, whether because they're like you said, there are a bunch of different gels that may or may not work for you, depending on what the specific gel is, the flavors might not work for you. You might be a runner who likes to chew things while you run, maybe something that you eat and chew is better. Like it takes a lot of experimentation because, you know, a runner will try something. So like that didn't work for me. Guess all fuel doesn't work for me. And that is like kind of an unacceptable place to stop. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And there, that's why there's so many different options out there on the market. And, you know, some runners um, will fuel with candy too, which is a perfectly, you know, option, perfectly acceptable option too. We just have to consider the electrolytes um, the fluids that we're taking in, in addition to the carbohydrates. Um, but, you know, you can use whole foods, you can use dried fruit, um, you can use um, using beverages 
in, in carbohydrate beverages with carbohydrates in as well. Something I hear more from men than women and the other um, people in this space who I am friendly with, we also tend to hear this from men more than women about glycogen depletion runs, about intentionally running fasted or without fuel in an effort to force your body to learn how to burn fat for fuel in a training place so that on race day, you can push out, you know, or I guess make your glycogen go farther um, without having to fuel as much. And as you say it, like, yeah, pushing out the wall, pushing back your body's ability to burn fuel efficiently or whatever it is sounds great. But like, why, why are we vilifying actually fueling properly? Yeah. And it goes back to the science. It goes back to the research. We know that fast, when you are run fasted, you're not going to outperform somebody who's taking in carbohydrates. So why not just, you know, feel good on your run. And we know that helps you recover. We know having that energy availability just helps in so many different ways of, you know, yeah, yeah. Let's just give our body what it needs, what's asking for, um, to begin with. Something I've said before is like, you don't get a special medal for not eating during your race. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if your goal is performance, like you don't get right. special points for not eating during your race. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Um, when you're planning out race day strategy with your athletes, for from a fueling perspective, like how early in the training cycle do you have that conversation? Yeah, so basically we, we want to start talking about it right away because, you know, sometimes my athletes aren't eating anything before a run. And so that in itself, we have to, you know, find out what food works before you go out for um, especially a hard workout, especially a long run. Um, get your stomach used to eating something before and then running. Um, we want to, it, it, the time it takes for somebody to train their stomach varies across athletes. And sometimes it's even just your mindset holding you back um, from, from having a fear. Or if you've experienced um, having to find the nearest bathroom um, in the past, like that that can, it can be really scary to try and eat something during your run again when you've had a bad experience. And so, yeah, I mean, for sure, once we start hitting runs over even 45, 60 minutes, um, we start to incorporate those, those feeling practices. Something I think I literally just realized as we have been having this conversation is that I don't think I in my personal history, I don't think that I intended to start out and to be a fasted runner. Like I just realized that when I was a new runner, every single time I went for a run, um, I got a side stitch. And in my mind, I equated that with having a full stomach. And, and of course, when you're a new runner, like everything hurts and it feels like you're dying and you're going to get side stitches and you're going to like, you can only run for a couple of minutes at a time. And like, that is all completely normal for being a brand new runner. But for me, my brain made that connection of like, Hey, I have a side stitch. Oh, it's because you ate before you ran. Therefore 
don't eat before you run. And I don't think that a lot of runners who don't fuel or don't fuel enough during their runs, like I said, I don't think they're necessarily doing it intentionally, although some do, and that's also a problem, but it is more of like the benign neglect thing when it comes to under fueling or not fueling at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I'm in a, I was, my experience was in a similar situation. I wasn't intentionally doing it. You just, you know, wake up at 5 a.m. and like you don't think about food unless you're you're starving at that time but oftentimes we're not hungry and so you know we're focused on getting out the door to get get our running and get back and get on with our day and so it's easy to forget like oh I should probably eat something before I go out on unintentionally under fueling happens so easily same same goes for after getting back from a run where you're nauseous and you don't feel like eating anything and you're like, well, I'm listening to my body. My body says I'm not really hungry. So why should I eat or why should I add in those calories that I just burned off? Um, but again, we have to look at the big picture of how beneficial nutrition is when you eat around your run and you surround your workouts with fuel. The calorie burning thing is really getting to me recently. And I don't know if it's because we're heading into the holidays as we record this episode, it's late in the year, or if people are starting to look ahead for whatever their new year goal is. But I've been getting a lot more questions about calorie burning and it coming from a place where calorie counting ruled my entire world. Um, it like, you know, one, I'm not a dietitian, so I'm not qualified to advise anybody on how many calories you should be eating at all, except for during your run, 30 to 90 grams of carbs per hour. But like, it's, it's such a, it's such a scary place to be because people who are asking these questions about calorie burning and running, and if they're allowed to eat back their run calories, or if it's, if they can get away with fueling less because they're trying to burn calories, because they're trying to lose weight, like how, this is a huge mindset shift that we're asking people to basically throw aside all of these things, which are deeply held beliefs coming from a place of real fear and say, no, 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 just eat and, and just trust us, you'll be okay. Like, that's a huge ask. Right. And I think it goes back to understanding how our body uses energy and calories every day. So, um, you know, I had so often runners will come to me and tell me, well, I know I just need my basic calories, my resting metabolic rate calories, you know, maybe 1200 calories, and then they add their exercise calories on top of that. That's not enough. Your body still uses calories to actually digest food, um, thermic effect of food, and your body uses energy for everyday movement for you to stand up and sit up and move your arms. And like, besides like doing laundry or doing the dishes, um, all of that adds up even more so we use more calories for that than exercise alone um, most often, unless, unless you're really training like Ironman type training. But um, for the most part, yeah, we're using so much more energy than we even realize. I think the, the metabolic rate, the you know, BMR, basal metabolic rate calculator, like that is, that's a really insidious number because like you said, yeah, runners will say, well, I'm this tall and I'm this heavy. And so my, my resting metabolic rate, I call them coma calories. Like if you were in a coma, 
you'd burn that many calories. Yeah. Doing anything else other than being in a coma will burn additional calories, especially if you do things like yard work or housework or walk the dog or have a really stressful job or an active job or a job that requires you to think a lot, like your brain burns a whole bunch of calories. Like people don't count those in like, not literally count them, but they don't consider them in their energy needs. Right, right. Yep. In addition to, you know, if we add in hormone health and hormones and how much that impacts, um, you know, how many calories we're burning and how that changes throughout the month even too. All right. So going back to the marathon, instead of talking about diatribe about diet culture, um, some runners are going to be fine just drinking or eating the exact same fuel type throughout their entire race. Some runners like to switch it up. Does it kind of just, it doesn't really matter where you get your fuel from as long as you get it inside your body? Um, so yeah, basically there's, there's not one plan for every person. There's not a perfect fuel option for everyone. Um, like you said, we have to just take into, into consideration so many different factors of, you know, budget, um, taste preference, um, do you want to chew food or not chew food on your run? Um, do you like variety? And so, yeah, there's so there's not like one one perfect way that's going to work for everyone. People don't like to hear that, especially when it comes to food. There's a lot of emotions people have around food and they people just kind of want to be told what to do because mm-hmm. having to make decisions on our own, especially when it comes to foods that might be um, scary for us that contain sugar, quote unquote, carbohydrates, that is emotionally uncomfortable for a lot of runners. Yes, for sure it is. And, and I, and I think it goes back to like, how were, how was your relationship with food growing up? Um, What did you perceive, or maybe from a different diet were diets tell us to eat based on external reasons or external factors versus actually being internal about what is going to work best for us too. Something you said earlier about not feeling hungry before a run so you don't eat or not feeling hungry after a run so you don't eat. Same thing with in, in the run. Like it doesn't matter if you feel hungry or not on a long run. Like it's not a time for us to be super in tune with our hunger cues. It's about the time for us to eat on a schedule because that's what our body needs, even though our body is not necessarily telling us because those signals can get suppressed based on the activity that we're doing. Yes, exactly. So it's weird because we have all this like intuitive eating, listen to your body and then be like, completely ignore what your body is saying. Just put the fuel in your body so you can make the engine go. Uh Uh-huh. And that's where like the sports science and all the research of how can we integrate that into understanding how our body works? And like you said, stress covers up that hunger hormone. And so we understanding like the nutrition science plus how our body works can all be integrated in, in helping you just feel good, have energy. So the wall, as we've alluded to earlier, is like, you know, if you like you literally feels like you hit a wall. But as you just pointed out, and I was telling my experience with my my most recent marathon is that there are some like preceding signals from when your body is trying to tell you, hey, I'm running low. Can I get something here? Like I need some help because once you ignore those, you then will eventually hit the wall, right? It's not just like out of nowhere 
all of a sudden you can barely move your legs. There are some preceding feelings, sensations that accompany um, depleting glycogen. Do you want right. to go through what those are? So people be like, oh, actually, now that you think about it, I think I was pretty close to hitting the wall on that run or race. Right. So, I mean, your body is designed to protect yourself. And so it's going to, like you said, um, try and protect itself early before you hit that wall. <laughs> um, but yeah, some signs. Um, so I'd say a big one is just your pace slowing down and you're not able to keep up with um, the, the, the pace that you've been going at. Um, and and it gets tricky because sometimes we might have cramping that going up that goes that happens and cramping can be related to dehydration as well or not having electrolytes enough sodium to hold in the fluids in in your body i mean carbohydrates are a perfect example of how carbohydrates help in fluid hold in fluids as well um but other signs um you know mentally again you're, you start getting brain fog um, not being able to think as clearly. Um, those are the, those are the ones that come to mind offhand. Have you experienced other ones? I can't really do math when I run anyways. So, you know, I wasn't like all that surprised that I was having trouble keeping track of the time, but yeah, I mean the, the brain fog, the starting to feel that kind of like whole body fatigue rather than, Oh, my legs are feeling tired. It's like, Oh, my whole body feels like I'm under like a bit of a fog or a weighted blanket starting to like if you start to feel hungry like if i am hungry on a run that's a big sign for me because for for the hormone signals that tell me that i'm hungry to break through the stress hormones that are also present like that has to be one monster hunger signal yeah yep that's definitely true mhm mm um what about like you just said carbohydrates, glycogen is stored with water. So we have more water in our, in our body, which is a good place to be if we're about to set out on a 26.2 mile run. A lot of runners are afraid of feeling the effects of having that much water in their body because they feel it's like they've gained weight. That is not what's happened. It's water because you ate carbs. Yep. Yep. That, and that goes back to, a big fear, I think, of why people are afraid of eating carbs because, yes, when you eat carbohydrates, your body holds on to more water, which is a good thing um, because it keeps you hydrated and you can run more efficiently and feel stronger. Um, but yeah, I think I think that goes back to, you know, when we talk about carb loading leading up to a marathon, that's basically what we're trying to do. We're trying to get our body to hold on to as many carbs, as much fluids as possible in keeping those electrolytes in as well as sodium holds onto water as well. And we should, there, you know, again, diet culture or, or maybe past things that you've heard is, oh, get down to race weight. That's not a thing. We should we should be actually weigh a little bit more going into a race if we've carbo loaded properly. Um, you might feel a little puffy. You might feel um, like not yourself, which is strange and which is uncomfortable. Um, but again, that's where we can practice during earlier on in our training cycle carb loading, like for a day before a long run, um, to get our body used to that as well. 
And that's definitely something my athletes talked to me this fall before their race is about. And I'm like, I, I, I warned them ahead of time because we finally got everybody fueling properly. And I said, it's going to one, be more carbs than you're probably used to eating in any, you know, one day or because based on the carb recommendations for carb loading, it's a lot of carbs. Yep. And you and you're running, you're barely running because we're in our last week of our taper and you are going to feel uncomfortable. And then it is about that education about understanding that this is for you are basically storing you are like the squirrel storing nuts for winter and you want to feel this way because you are going to need all of that for race day going into race day feeling of a sort of like underfed deer when we feel skinny that doesn't necessarily bode well for our performance yes yep yep exactly what are some things that you would wish that we could change the method, like overnight, snap your fingers, change the messaging on when it comes to running and fueling. <laughs> I think you kind of hit a, a good one with uh, this idea of thinning or being thinner, shrinking your body is going to make you faster. Um, you know, th- that's like, that's what diet culture tries and sells us on every single day of like, your body isn't good enough. Um, but that's not true. Like, Everyone, even if we ate the same and exercised the same, all our bodies are going to look different. And so it goes back to how can we respect our body and appreciate it for what it does for us and fuel it properly, um, giving it, you know, the nutrition it needs, eating enough to support our exercise and activity, and then, you know, taking it from that perspective um, internal perspective of our body versus like these messages that are that we're our body isn't small enough or thin enough to run fast. And somebody from my perspective, my personal experience, having done it both ways, having run a marathon or you know trained, fasted, run fasted, and then having trained and raced fueled, it is a different experience. I mean, I think for runners who you know are struggling with finding balance in their running. Maybe it's because they're running everything too hard or maybe because they're, you know, haven't found their training balance, but specifically like it running should be enjoyable. It should be adding to your life. It shouldn't be something that is causing you anxiety, dread, something that feels awful every time you do it. Like if every single run that you go on feels like you are just dying, you know, and you're not a new runner, then something's not right. Right. Yep. Yep. And, and I feel like that happens to a lot of runners where, you know, you're like telling yourself, oh, this is for my, my mental health, which it is, but um, sometimes it gets past the point of being mentally healthy as well. Um, And we have to find other ways to um, support our mental health too. Yes. Running is not a replacement for actual therapy. It is very beneficial for your mental health. All activity is, but, you know, and the same thing with, with fueling, like running can help you develop a better relationship with food, but it might not. There might be things that actually do require professional assistance, whether it's a sports dietitian like you or seeing a mental health professional. Like if there are things that are, um, getting in the way of you being healthy, like that should be addressed. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so often it's, it can be hard to just 
ask for that help too, um, where we think we're okay and and really in reality it it's holding us back from being the be- best version of yourself. Well, also because like under eating is so normalized. Yep. Like it's normal to, I mean, my God, there are so many groups who, you know, all you need is 1200 calories a day or, oh, you're short. You should be eating less or, oh, running. Oh, your body will adjust to running and you can just eat less because like, what, what is this? Why are we telling people that they should be under eating consistently, mm-hmm. consistently? Like yep. it's not normal to go to bed starving. It is not normal to bonk on every single run. It is not normal to feel cranky and hungry every single afternoon. Like you need to dive into a box of cookies. Like these are not normal states of being. Right. And our, our culture has made being on a diet normal and a diet, being on a diet in itself is underfueling. And, and sometimes I was talking to a runner of how she was like, well, it's just what I chat with, with my girlfriends about being on the latest diet. And it's, it's become part of her lifestyle and to take that away and have a new approach with eating and, and exercise is, is a change for people. Well, and especially in that group mindset too, if all your friends are doing it and it happens with running and fueling too. Like if none of your friends fuel when you run, one of my runners, when she went, started going on her group runs after we were, I was like, no, we need to start fueling here. Are the guidelines just work through it. She was like, but when I go on runs with my friends, like nobody fuels. And I was like, well, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you can't fuel. Like that doesn't mean you shouldn't fuel just because they're not fueling. That's also not okay. But just because they're doing it again, doesn't mean that you should also do that or that it's normal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, (laughs) every conversation about nutrition and running comes back to like, there is no teasing out and separating the way that we talk about food and fuel and dieting and calories and body image in our culture. Like they are, they are intertwined in a way that's for good or bad. Like every conversation about this is going to be partially about changing the relationship that we have with food and with our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I know we started talking about hitting the wall and it, it translates this, but, but it, it does place such an important factor of giving yourself permission to feel during your run to prevent from hitting that wall. Yes. I like to, for my runners who are fuel adverse or fuel hesitant, I always come at this from the performance angle. I say, look, whatever else is going on in your life, you know, do you want to run faster or not? Mm-hmm. Then if you want to run faster, we need to fuel properly. And this is how we do it. Yep. Yep, exactly. Uh, Christy, this has been a great conversation. I feel like we could have gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so on our soapboxes a little bit longer and banged our, you know, shook our fists at the sky. Um, but you, this is what you do. This is what you do. You work with runners. You are a sports dietitian. You are the person people can go to if they do need help with their fueling and their performance. Yeah. Yep. So I work with runners at all levels. And um, my big thing is helping you fuel your body well and having a healthy relationship with food in the process. And and the foundation of fueling your body well, um, preventing yourself from hitting the wall is starting with a healthy relationship with food. And I key is that runners of all levels. I think that there is a, a lot of misconceptions about runners who don't feel like they are fill in the blank enough to need a coach or need a dietitian or, you know, go to a physical therapist or whatever the thing is. And it's like, no, if you run, you are a runner and runners sometimes need these professionals in their lives to help them 
just figure stuff out, right? Like we're not supposed to yeah. know everything. We, it's okay to ask for help. Right. And it helps in just so many different areas of your life besides running your relationships with your kids and your significant other and just having more energy to focus at, at work. Um, it's just, you know, food doesn't need to um, rule your life and, and be all the thing, be the only thing that you think about and obsess about it all the time. So for anybody listening, if you ran a race this fall and you hit the wall, we encourage you to go back and examine how much fuel did you actually take in? Did you carb load? How is your pacing strategy? You'll probably find some answers when you figure out what that actually looks like. Um, and then you'll know what to do going forward. What might need to change? How much more fueling you might need? Maybe adjusting that pacing strategy a little bit so you don't go out too hot. But yeah. if you do need more help than that, Christy, you are you taking new clients? Yeah, so I have actually a, a membership that's um, designed for runners training for a new race and helping them with their nutrition as they're, they're training for an upcoming race. Um, so, and with that, I'm, I'm, I answer questions through a private Facebook community too. So I have that option as well as I work with runners, um, more high level coaching and helping them heal their relationship with food too. And so, yep, accepting new clients as well. Awesome. And I love your Instagram account at marathon.nutritionist because it's like truth, truth, truth. And like these like beautiful little graphics, like demystifying the relationship with food and your body. And I mean, if you're not following Christy, you should, because you will definitely learn something you didn't know. Yes. Thank you so <laughs> much. <laughs> well, I'm going to link to Christy's Instagram and website below in the show notes so you can find and follow her. And if you want to work with her, that might be a good option for you. Christy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. It was so great chatting with you today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.